Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Social Work Journal. I'm your host Del Tom and today our topic is algorithm. So what is the algorithm? The algorithm, if we were to put it in the most simplest form of terms, means a process or a set of rules to be followed in calculations. So when we think of algorithm, we're thinking of something very technical. And I know all of you listeners out there are probably thinking, why are we talking about algorithm? This is a mental health podcast. Well, the reason why we're talking about algorithm here is because as we get into some of this terminology and some of these um, definitions, you're going to find that algorithm is actually highly relative to behavior, thoughts and emotions. Now, I'm not sure how many of you all have um, watched that show on Netflix. It's called Social Dilemma. But I was shocked, to say the least, of some of the information that was being shared there. And it really opened my eyes to how much technology and how much AI can kind of predict our behaviors. Because I don't know if you've heard of this term before or this phrase, but they say the best predictor of future behaviors is past behaviors. And that's what artificial intelligence is all about. It's about predicting your future behavior based on your past behavior. So let's go ahead and jump right into our topic. The first terminology that I want to discuss is called greedy algorithm. And greedy algorithm, it chooses the best option without considering the future. Now, if we were to parallel that to something that is uh, more mental health related, I would say, wouldn't that sound like, um, I don't know, impulsivity? So you choose the best option without thinking of the consequences that go along with it. So it's essentially what we've discussed before as like cognitive impairment, because as your cognitive processes are more developed, especially when you're older, you learn to delay gratification because you're able to weigh the pros and cons of things and you're able to assess, hmm, in the future, this is something that could harm me. So I don't want to participate in this, even though it gives me pleasure now. That's what a greedy algorithm is. Now, because a greedy algorithm is not always reliable in decision making. Now we're talking about the technical term here. They use dynamic programming as a replacement solution for this greedy algorithm. So see, technology relates to mental health. We got it right there. So essentially this dynamic programming is that development of cognition. If you were to parallel technology to our thoughts, our minds and our behaviors. So let's move on. There is a theory and it's called the Bayesian decision theory. And it's basically an approach to pattern classification, right? And some of the things that they talk about in this theory are some of the, I guess you can say different sort of aspects of this theory. There's prior probability. So with prior probability, the likelihood and there's also likelihood probability, but the likelihood of something being successful or some kind of pattern repeating is based on what pattern prior happened or prior occurred. So I find that so interesting how these algorithms and we'll get into the purpose of algorithms in a second, but how these algorithms are used to predict behavior. And we have this terminology saying, Hey, yes, just like what I said, 
The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. The likelihood probability probably increases based on the prior probability. So I want to get into a discussion by a professional. His name is Tristan Harris. He interviewed on the social dilemma and he was formerly a design ethicist for Google. And he was talking about how he was designing the inbox along with a team of other technical professionals. And they were talking about the color that they want to make the inbox and the different things they wanted to do to design this inbox. However, he said he noticed that he was getting addicted to Gmail. And he said in all the discussions that they had about designing the inbox, there was never a discussion about how they could possibly make Gmail less addictive. Now here is what I find so compelling. I don't know about you, and I discussed this on the podcast focus. So if you haven't checked out um, season two, I can't remember if it was episode three, but it's season two focus. We talk about what I'm about to discuss now. So listen, have you ever found yourself just constantly checking your emails and wondered why I do that all the time? I, that used to be one of my biggest distractions. I literally had to turn off the notifications on my phone because every time I would get a notification that an email was coming through, I was checking my emails. And for some reason, I have like this, I don't know, I get like this high whenever I delete emails that I don't need. And I've asked myself time and time again, why don't I just sit down and take out the time to just unsubscribe from some of these companies that are sending me these emails rather than deleting them. Now, how many of you feel some sort of gratification every time you delete an email? I know I do. So I was just thinking, you know what? Gmail and not just Gmail, all of these email apps, they are addictive. They are because you get a dopamine release apparently from swiping. It probably gives you some sense of like accomplishment or achievement. And if you haven't checked out the episode achievement in season two, I recommend that you do. But we talked about in that episode how people will revert to shorter tasks that they can complete faster, even if the reward long term is greater with tasks that are longer. And I think that's part of the reason why Gmail or other email apps are so addictive. Now they also got into how Instagram can be highly addictive. And I found that compelling. And they said, honestly, whether you know it or not, when you swipe down to refresh, that's not unintentional. That is purposeful. And the reason why they have you swipe down to refresh is because they use psychology. What would give people a reward? And the psychological term that they actually refer to is positive intermittent reinforcement. So when you pull down on your screen to refresh and then you get more notifications, more updates, more posts in your timeline, that's actually a form of positive intermittent reinforcement. So all of these things were kind of designed as a part of growth hacking. 
And that was the terminology that they used in The Social Dilemma. I highly recommend that you check out The Social Dilemma on Netflix if you haven't seen it. And the whole purpose of growth hacking is figuring out what will get you to engage in whatever social media platform that's competing for your attention and what can they do to increase your engagement. So that's why if you like a post, if you share a post, if you remain on a post for a longer period of time, what they do is they will continue to show you the same posts, these algorithms. And the reason why these algorithms do this is because they want to show you what you like, what you're showing interest in. That's the only way they can increase your engagement. And we know most of these social media platforms make majority of their money from advertisement, right? Not just the ads that maybe you buy on there or if you have your own business, but advertisement from these Fortune 500 companies. That's how they make their money because they know what you like and then they know what ad to show you. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So think about that. When you think about these algorithms, I want you to keep that in mind as we continue to go along in this podcast. Now, algorithms are designed to be empathic because they can impact our behaviors and our emotions. And there was a professor on there I hope I say her name right, Dr. Shoshana Zuboff. And she is from Harvard Business School. She It says she was a professor emeritus. She said that basically they have figured out how to program these algorithms to impact our behaviors and our emotions without triggering our awareness. Because there's certain things that just trigger certain behaviors and we don't even know what's happening. Much like that positive intermittent reinforcement that we just talked about. Something else that I think is very important that we discuss is how social media has had a high impact on children's self-esteem. And I'm sure that it has a high impact on adult self-esteem as well. For instance, suicide and self-harm rates apparently since 2009 have gone up tremendously because of people comparing themselves to the images that they're seeing in social media. And to me, that makes complete sense. Because if you think about it, when you see these filtered images, especially if you follow, you know, celebrities, you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, I don't look like that. So is there something wrong with me? Maybe I need to fix this about myself or that about myself. And I mean, celebrity is just a different world. It's a different lifestyle. And we don't know what these people do to look the way that they look. So if we're looking on social media, and a lot of times we establish our bars, or our parameters, or our expectations based off of what we compare ourselves to. Well, I'm here to tell you that to some degree, to have an understanding of societal expectations and to set expectations for ourselves, sometimes we do compare ourselves to others or we compare ourselves to what has been accomplished before. And that's kind of how we set the bar and the perimeter of what we think we can do. Well, the problem with seeing these filter images over and over again is it gives you these unrealistic expectations as to how you're supposed to look 
And then I can see how that is affecting these young girls' self-esteem. Or for instance, you know, think about it when you're on Facebook or you're on Instagram and you see someone posting that they went to some exotic vacation, I don't know, out of the country. Maybe they went to the Maldives, you know, or maybe they went to Ibiza, um, you know, somewhere exotic and amazing. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have money for that. You know, I, I can't afford to go someplace like that. How does that impact your self-esteem? And then how does that affect your perception with reality? This is just something to think about. And it kind of brings me back to, I think this happened about maybe five years ago when Kim Kardashian, she had some unfiltered photos. I guess it was from a vacation that she was on. I don't know. I, I remember for sure that the photos were um, paparazzi photos. So these paparazzi photos were taken. Unfortunately, they weren't filtered. They weren't um, photoshopped. And so you can see that she, like us, you know, us women, we all have some cellulite. You know, we all have some stretch marks. Honestly, when I saw the pictures, I just thought I was looking at a real woman. But she received a lot of backlash. And there were a lot of people online, I remember around that time, because I just kept getting these alerts in Google. <laughs> See? Notifications. But I kept getting these alerts in Google, basically showing that, you know, this is what she really looks like. And people were talking about her looks in I'm sure there was probably some comments online that were not nice. I really didn't look into it that deep. However, I think that it's just so unfortunate that people didn't look at that picture and just say, wow, you know, she looks great and she, she looks like a woman because she is a woman and she's a person just like you and I. So I can see how if you are a celebrity, how it impacts your self-esteem even more this social media because a lot of your money and your bread and butter is kind of dependent on social media and what people think about you and your image so think about what it's like to constantly be filtering your pictures and constantly be photoshopping your pictures so that you can maintain that image that people expect of you I can only imagine that that has a huge effect on your self-esteem. And there are implications of um, social media not only increasing depression, but increasing anxiety in individuals through these unrealistic comparisons, of course. Now, one way that social media was a little less negative as it pertains to comparisons, excuse me. So one way that social media was seen as less negative when looking at the comparison um, approach. During COVID, when we first had the shelter in place, it was determined that people were actually impacted in a positive way because they start making connections with others and they started realizing that they weren't alone during this time there were other people who were sheltering place and there were other people who may have been impacted like them. And people were sharing their stories during that time. I mean, you really couldn't do much. You could barely go to the grocery store. I remember at one point you couldn't go to the grocery store at all. So people felt less alone. So those comparisons and that connection through social media was actually a positive thing when we were going through the shelter in place. 
But don't get me wrong, there definitely were some negative aspects. And I would say those negative aspects, they really came with the false narratives. I know you guys can remember, there were a lot of things that were being said during COVID when we didn't have the information that we have now. For instance, and they even showed this in The Social Dilemma, they were saying, drink more water to flush down COVID. If you drink more water, then you'll you'll get COVID out of your system. Now, we all know that's not true. Any viral infection, is it good to drink water? Sure, it's good to drink water whether you have a viral infection or not, but you can't drink the viral infection out of your body. That's like saying, if you drink a lot of water, you're gonna flush the cold out of your body. No, you're still gonna have a cold Maybe if you hydrate, you know, there's some benefits to hydrating while you're sick, of course. But to say that that's like a cure, it's ridiculous. But you know what? I always say, please consult with a medical professional when it comes to health-related topics or issues. And I'm certainly not a health-related professional. So, you know, you don't have to take my word for it, but that does sound ludicrous. Another thing that was being advertised and there was an infomercial about drinking silver solution to get rid of covid now i hope that no one was out there drinking silver solution that sounds dangerous and poisonous and maybe i'm wrong maybe they said to do something else when i saw it on on the internet it was something about drinking silver solution to get rid of covid that's ridiculous that is not going to get rid of covid like i said before When it comes to health-related matters, you should definitely consult with a physician, someone who is licensed to practice in that area. Remember Pizzagate? Now, that's something that was circulating on the internet for a long time, and I thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever, and it had people outraged because there were people out there who really believed that this pizza parlor was trafficking children, and it's just unfortunate that false narratives are spread through social media. And if you show any interest in any of these false narratives, and maybe at first you don't even believe in them, you're just kind of like, hmm, this is a little compelling hearing about these different conspiracy theories. I know sometimes I like to listen to conspiracy theories, even though I don't believe in them. But, you know, you like something or you watch something for a long time and then you just keep getting fed this information, maybe if you read it and see it enough, you might start to see some truth in it. It skews your perception of reality, essentially. That's the problem with social media and these algorithms. It will feed you the information that you're demonstrating engagement with. And they'll just keep feeding you this information and keep feeding you. And then before you know it, your perception and your ability to be able to differentiate reality from something that was probably supposed to be entertainment, something that's not true or real, it gets skewed. So one last thing that I want to leave you with that I think we can contemplate on is how these algorithms affect our morality. Because if we can't tell what's real and what's not real, And if there is nothing that's sort of governing our ability to say, this is how far I'm willing to go when it comes to running with a narrative, 
then how do we set boundaries for ourselves? And of course, I love the freedom and I love being able to connect through virtual reality, which is what social media is. But I don't like the idea of there being so much information out there that you literally cannot tell the difference between what's real and what's not. Sometimes it just seems like, well, who do I trust to get my news? And we spend most of our time on our phone. I mean, if you look at your watch time for the week, how many hours per week on average do you spend on your phone or per day on average when you get that weekly update? You know, they were talking about in that documentary, The Social Dilemma, how we literally go to the bathroom with our phone. Some of us eat dinner with our phone at the table. Some of us, we can't go to sleep in our room without our phone. I know I like to listen to noise when I go to sleep and not necessarily white noise. I kind of got addicted to hearing the sound of television. So my husband, he is a light sleeper and he can't stand noise. So I can't sleep with the television. So I got into the habit of just putting on like a 30 minute video from YouTube and falling asleep with my AirPods in because by the time the video is over, probably about five or 10 minutes in, I've already knocked out and I'm getting into that good, you know, deep sleep. So who knows what I'm listening to and what kind of information I'm taking in in my unconscious brain while I'm sleeping. Because one thing that I did turn off is I turned off that feature where it'll just keep playing videos when your video is finished. I turned that off because you don't know what's going to be playing next and you don't know what's going to be entering your subconscious mind. So, you know, these are just things that I want us to think about. Let's just think about how important it is to be dynamic and not to be one sided. And it's hard to do that if you're being fed the same narratives over and over. So think about the algorithm in your brain and how the information that you allow to seep into your brain impacts your ability to make decisions, how it impacts your behavior, how it impacts your emotions. Thank you guys for sharing, coming in with me, listening to the podcast. I really appreciate all of your support. And until we meet again, bye-bye.